This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. (laughs) Boy! Hey, just a heads up, this is going to be another heavy uh, podcast in regards to me and the Poetic Critic discussing how Disney is killing independent cinema, or at least absorbing it all. Just made me think especially with all the weird kind of vibes Disney has, at least with YouTube videos, basically saying what you should, shouldn't buy, and then the worries of trying to appease everybody, be it conservatives or liberals. It just gave me the vision of, say, think of Scorsese's Gangs of New York, how it opens and closes with a melee at the center of the five points. I'm suggesting perhaps... A melee between conservatives and liberals at Cinderella's castle sounds like fun and sounds productive. No guns, just lightsabers. That's what I'm pitching. I suppose we need to incorporate swords for those Neverland pirates. And I don't know how many princes actually carry wands. I guess brooms like Fantasia, but I guess I agree with Rory. Disney's kind of making you forget about the old IP. With all that said, let's make it clear. These are the thoughts of one cool movie star better known as Russ Stevens, not those of my guests on the podcast, which we will get to. Little Hands says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. And if needs to be said again, welcome back to 90 for Chill, the podcast. I am your host, Cool Movies Darth. That's CM Darth at Letterbox. You can just call me Russ. I'm probably going to go trip over my introductions again in the actual podcast. Uh, so let's just get moving. This week, I pulled one out of my tuchus. We'll put it that way. I brought back the poetic critic. I just knew she had a night off. And I'm officially on vacation from both jobs at this point. So... Way to kick it off with a tetanus booster, an ammonia vaccine, some lab work. But, hey, found myself a Captain Boomer Funko Pop and the Jaws Funko board game pieces at a discount price. Got myself a haircut. I say it's a great way of starting things. Hopefully I'll be in Milwaukee for AEW on Wednesday. And just got to remember to carry my business cards and do the typical Mark-type bullshit, I guess. But when it comes to this week's podcast, the intent was to go over the rather concise films of one Wes Anderson, who I think we do a great job describing, but I don't think we talk too much in depth over certain features. I guess we're to the point with this podcast that we really should just be gunning for individual movies or very limited scope which will be next week's podcast. I do promise you the early works of James Gunn. I'm sorry, James Gunn. Gosh, that better be his given name, because after James Gunn from Silence of the Lambs, I would think about trying to change it. What this podcast comes off as, I think, is more of us trying to determine how bad cinema is off right now and trying to do our best to keep independent directors from going into the system, the new studio system. We need to talk about regulation. So, eh, as a political bloke, I had fun with that. 
I don't know. Wouldn't you want to see Wes Anderson direct a Marvel movie? My older sister said there's an SNL sketch uh, where they do Wes Anderson directs a horror movie. You know what? That's not necessarily the system. There's so much we can do with this guy. And I do my best to try letting my older sister know that maybe it's not as bad. There will be an eventual fall off a cliff for the system we're in. Just, Just be patient, be optimistic, and enjoy what you get. Let me pause for a moment to get my phone because I have some notes I want to bring into this introduction. This time around, I did pay attention to the poetic critic and her discussions about film Twitter. Is it actually a genuine hashtag? I believe it is, but I digress. I got some names that she mentioned that I think are probably worth looking for if you want to delve into the nasty place that is film Twitter. Good accounts to follow would be Bill Smiley, and another one that Rory's a huge fan of, and I think is a friend of, is one Jessica Ritchie. I didn't ask for spellings, pardon me for that, but this is from the poetic critic, the smartest mind in central Illinois in terms of cinematic analysis, in my opinion kind of makes it a futile action to keep arguing with her but i digress so you can find the poetic critic at letterbox slash the poetic critic t-h-e-p-o-e-t-i-c-c-r-i-t-i-c as i say i'm at cm darth on letterbox i can't help but mention it again i would love to have you on our podcast if you got a movie a theme a director or an actor keep a focus on their sub 100 minute movies and i think we got ourselves some podcasting gold just uh send me a dm at catbusruss on twitter that's at c-a-t-b-u-s-r-u-s-s or you can send an email to rustthebus07 at gmail.com that's r-u-s-s-t-h-e-b-u-s-07 at gmail.com hope you enjoy our conversation we're sticking to our guns for next week it will be James Gunn one way or another. Thanks. Well, I don't think Funky's the proper transition I'd like to go to with this, but who knows with the subject matter of the podcast tonight or whenever you're listening to this. Time is relative. Um, some TARDIS bullshit, I guess. I mean, I'm with a Doctor Who expert uh, again. This would be the Poetic Critic, and this time we actually have a concept instead of just uh, chalking your ear off. And uh, let me apologize for last week if the earballs comment was a little confusing. I heard no, knew I heard it somewhere. I just could not get a good clip of Judy Greer's Cheryl Tunt or Carol Tunt or Charlene. Um... What other names did you use on Archer? I'm just glad Archer's coming back, but I will miss um, the actress who voiced uh, Mallory Archer, who doesn't come to immediate mind. Uh, but, you know what? If anybody wants to talk about the sub-90 minute, 100-minute movie PCU, I think Jeremy Piven's about in a position where we need to uh, look back and possibly remeasure him, his humanity... I'm just blaming it on Mark Wahlberg for coming up with the entourage idea, but nonetheless, this is 90 for Chill, the podcast. I am your host, Cool Movies Darth. You can find me on Letterbox at CM Darth. Does that guy who sold out United Center have his own Letterbox? 
I challenge thee, CM Punk. But uh, you can just call me Russ Stevens. Everybody else does. It's worked for 41 years, except for some annoying customers who at the bank who, hey, my name tag is on the the placard. Where's that? Where are you getting that extra syllable? I think it's a power play by someone who's actually a, a therapist. So I don't know. Control freaks. What can I say? Well, I've BS'd enough. So my guest this week uh, is once again the poetic critic. That's the poetic critic. She is my big sister. And we, I just brought up the um, thought. Well, it's really just a comedy of errors how we got here. I did my best to try to get people to sign up for this podcast to do an episode with me. And in the end, um, I just found out my sister's schedule and like, oh, well, I'm on vacation technically, so this should work. And then I start getting the calls back. And you know what? There's a lot of love for James Gunn right now. And one guy wanted to focus on Slither. Another guy just wants to focus on his early works, which has been a desperate search for the movie Super. So far, no luck. I did find Coraline and Road Trip finally, but that's another story. So it looks like I'm going to have to pay that $3.99 rental fee on iTunes, but hey, I got my set up so I can go and dub it on a cheap little DVD. So that is my week, I guess. Maybe I'll go up to Milwaukee for AEW. I don't know. What's your week looking at, Rory? I don't really have anything going on. I'm mostly going to be working. Okay. All right. Well, your workplace, um, as vague as I can possibly be, actually seems like the type of place that I could see a Wes Anderson movie taking place in. I don't know. Oh, come on. The hilarity with what could happen in your place of work. I don't think so. Well, I mean, it's just... It's something he hasn't done yet. Right. You know, the best I can do is a Rushmore joke. And again, I'm not going to expose the uh, poetic critic's personal life. You can find her at letterbox slash the poetic critic. That's T-H-E-P-O-E-T-I-C-C-R-I-T-I-C. Do you think we should start using handles and usernames and spelling bees? I don't know. Because, I mean, yours is a tricky one because you got that that C followed by a C, you know, no space. It'd be funny to see these little Indian kids and Asians and everybody who's kicking our butts <laughs> trying to have them to say space, <laughs> underscore. Well, didn't Conan O'Brien run that into the ground with the slash gag he used to have on his show? <laughs> you mean uh, TeamCoco.com photo yeah. of slash? <laughs> right. Yeah, well, he's not here with us anymore. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Does he still have his podcast? Or I think so. Okay. So, be criminal if he just left us to this ginger-free world. So, uh, when it comes to Wes Anderson, I guess my first exposure to him was the Royal Tenenbaums, 
and when I first saw it, gosh, that'd be 13 years ago, approximately. Um, it His movies pack in so much dialogue. The movie doesn't cross that hour 50 mark, but it sure packs so much stuff that it feels a lot, they can feel a lot longer than they actually are. They feel, I think there's a, a feeling of epic and again this is primarily just dialogue being spoken that's true Mm. they do feel longer than they are that's not necessarily complained no not at all um i mean the coen brothers are very similar yeah they, they are coen brothers Especially early on, some of their films are pretty short. Oh, yes. Uh, Blood Simple, definitely. I think you could say the same thing for Raising Arizona. And you've got Prison Breaks and Bikers from Hell. Um, but I really... Now I say my first experience was the Royal Tenenbaums. And, I mean, there's... As I say, it's the last great Gene Hackman. So I can understand why it's held in such high regard. And um, Bill Murray is perfect as always. It's almost like Wes Anderson is stepping on every Criterion member's toes. In the sense that, as I said last week with Jim Jeremish, uh, Jim Jeremish seems like there should be an extra syllable. Um, Like, to be in his film, regardless of the quality of the film, is a badge of honor. And I think you'd say the same thing now with... uh, Wes Anderson. I mean, Bill Murray being constant stalwart. I mean, I, you would probably say the best of them have Jeff Goldblum in some form. Well, I haven't seen all of them yet. Well. I'm also really high on Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. He's not in that. That's, a, yeah, I don't, that, that was almost like, uh, did, didn't really have a good dialogue coach. Just like, okay, fewer, uh, yeah, um, I did see a t-shirt recently, which was uh, just a guy wearing it. It said, life uh, finds a way. Yeah. <laughs> Complete with the... Oh, yeah, that's pretty common now on uh, the official merchandise. It's, you know, it just kind of surprised me more than anything, like, nerdum and how it crosses over and that it was a big, you know, 260-pound black guy. You know, we're not that different. So can we stop? Okay. Rory doesn't want to get too political with this. I'll just say white people are not marginalized. And if you blame marginalized people for anything, you're an asshole. And scene. But I was also talking to Rory earlier about uh, um, hearing about black wrestling Twitter on the Mass Man Show podcast. And like how a wonderful place it sounds like it is. The same thing with The Daily Show when they've had... Uh, Roy Wood Jr. talk about black Twitter and it's like oh they self-police well it's like huh Uh, we just ruined everything hey or was it ruined to begin with and we're just preventing people from changing it man in the mirror man okay but uh you know Screw Michael Jackson in this event. We're uh, talking about Wes Anderson. And if you want somebody who has the best needle drop soundtracks. Well, I don't know. 
There are a lot of good filmmakers in that regard. Well, I know it doesn't qualify for 90 for chill, um, but come on. An uh, entire Portuguese David Bowie soundtrack. Well, that one is very good. Yes, that's that's what I was getting at. And then it has Jeff Goldblum in it, so... I know you're a big fan of Fantastic Mr. Fox, which does qualify for 90 for Chill, the podcast. Um, but outside the animated world, um, I mean, you'd probably go with Grand Budapest then as his finest? Uh, probably. Right. I, but I've only seen a handful. I've seen Rushmore. I've seen um, The Life Aquatic. I've seen the two animated ones. Mm-hmm. And it, seen Grand Budapest Hotel. It's only a handful of movies. Well, not not quite even, but it's not like he's really been too epic at, um, at a filmmaker. I mean, it's weird in a world where we're always in for the next Tarantino. Not to put a critic, the um, the rest of us, hoping he doesn't do it, just calls it quit after ten movies, which in his logic makes perfect sense. And it's just like, you know, it's 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 a go out on top type ad- attitude, and I think that's uh, actually rather admirable, in my opinion. Um, but uh, he's really look. He had Rushmore, so he had Bottle Rocket ninety six, Rushmore ninety eight, um, Life Aquatic's the next one, right? And I don't think that was no Life Aquatic came after. Oh, Royal Tenenbaums two thousand one. Right. So he's only doing a movie. Well, it only works every few three years. years. Yeah. So, I he's definitely no Steven Soderbergh, who I think just has a problem putting a camera down. I mean, when you're as awesome as Soderbergh, that's not necessary. I mean, that's not a bad problem to have. But um, I know there's at least a divorce there. <laughs> not to pick on good old Steven. I think he spells his name properly. I could go on long rants about people who show up at work at my job, do something. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Look up under Stevens. Okay. You want us to do something really stupid, and you can't spell the name right. So, it's not an F sound. <laughs> so, well, um, so I uh, did. I think I did my best. I think the only one I did not catch that uh, fits into that time frame of 90 for chill would be um moon moonrise kingdom right i I still need to get to that yeah i do too it just uh, things get weird when you're using kids i think right especially with a i mean grand budapest could have been a pg-13 rated movie and would have suffered for it but you know you could have definitely done away with a lot of the language elderly boobs um and I don't know if Adrian Brody's really great for Wes Anderson I guess he's he's like well I couldn't get well it's like Wes forgot about Luke Owen once he got a hold of uh Adrian Brody so but um so for this binge for this episode, I did. Um, it was also um, one of them was also my Netflix DVD. Another one was a cheap purchase, and this is really where the um, Cohen brother comparison sets in. You could definitely see it in um, 
bottle rocket. Um, I mean, when you look at Blood Simple being a movie in Texas about murder and such, or trying to get away with the perfect murder, I guess, do you think Hollywood would be better with great criminals or we need these lousy ones? We need a mixture of everything. I don't think that needs to be a binary choice. Well, if you're a great criminal, say in the movie Heat with uh, De Niro, um, usually you have to have that rotten egg in the um, in the crew, who's not a regular per not a regular, right? Who screws everything up and then rats you out. And to the um, that villain's credit, hey, you gave us the be- one of the best shootouts in L.A. of all time, <laughs> but. I don't see heat being up your alley, but uh, I think uh, I'm still I'm kind of disappointed right now with the podcast, the rewatchables. Like the first the first episode was heat, the second ep- the one hundredth episode was the reheat, and the three hundredth episode was supposed to be basically they're gonna keep doing it every hundred episodes until Michael Mann ha- finally shows up on the podcast, but and surprisingly. Working in a bank, the trainer did not has not watched Heat. <laughs> or was it the town? Either way, it's like, come on. Um, so yeah, uh, Bottle Rocket, kind of same formula, except everybody's pretty innocent and stupid. <laughs> Which kind of... I don't know, do you think the Wes Anderson movies, which are definitely hand-in-hand hand with the Owen Wilson kind of gave him that stupid attitude, that stupid appearance, or naive. I'm not, I'm not at liberty to say. I haven't seen that many of his movies. Oh, I know you said, hey, hey, tune it, hey, stick around, haunting, he's going to get his head popped off. <laughs> that was on you in 2000. Well, that is true. <laughs> it was on cable. We didn't know better. You knew his head was going to get popped off. You're just mad because I spoiled it. So yeah, Bottle Rocket. Um, I mean, it's it's fun, but it's definitely very much kind of like what if uh, the Coen brothers skipped um, Blood Simple and went straight to Racing Arizona. It's that kind of charm, humor, and... Uh, you know, three Wilson brothers. I think he needs to make sure that's a staple of his features. Let's let's not third ass your Wilsons or two thirds ass because I know uh, Owen Wilson wrote Rushmore, which uh, getting right to that and the one that Rory has seen, um, I find way too relatable as somebody who's trying to be an artist in a sense. Not that I mean, in the in the in the event that I tried so many things like okay pro wrestling and no, screenwriting no, podcasting, eh. the numbers are still kind of difficult to say, but uh, enough people are. I see. I mean, I see. I see no. I see numbers. I don't necessarily see the numbers, so I'm happy. But, um. I don't know, as a creative, did that have any... touch you in any, any way? No, I, the film... 
I enjoyed while watching it, but it didn't leave a lasting impression on me. I must have seen it not long after it had come out on DVD, and that would have been around 2000 or so, I think. You were holding out on me. I never took the time to look at what those blockbuster DVDs were. This was before that. Well, um, still... Back when we were still renting stuff from the movies America. I thought it would be second cinema by that point. I mean, I think... Well, whatever it was. I don't remember the names. Oh, come on. You're not going to give up on Village Video. That was gone long before then. Yes, but you have to appreciate getting those free Nintendo video game posters and the ill... What was Morton's thing with illegally using the Dennis the Menace characters? Like, they were always stuck on mascot stuff, even at, like, the, Dis- the, the Dairy Queen. That wasn't illegal, what Dairy Queen was doing. But Village Video was sure right in the court coattails. Didn't... I don't know why that would have been. I don't even remember that. Okay, all right. Did you remember... And I think it goes for all good video stores. The horror is right by the front. Like, like with the um, horror, like, okay, and Dad's checking out, and let me look down this aisle. Whoa. <laughs> but, um, with that said, though, um, video stores just kind of quickly say, excited for Cl- Clerks 3? No, not really. Oh, okay. I, I think the funniest thing I saw related to Clerks 3 was when they posted that picture on Twitter. Somebody commented, looks like the, I thought this was red letter media. Yeah, <laughs> mm, no, I'm not going to hit the rim shot on that one. But, um. I wish I could remember who said it. Mm. Red Letter Media. I'm actually kind of lost on that one. Red Letter Media is uh, famous for, if I remember correctly, because you know how these collectives work, the ultra-long videos that were dissecting stuff like the Star Wars prequels. They also do shows like The Wheel of the Worst and Best of the Worst, some of which are very funny. Oh, I mean, give us Greg That's what put Greg Kinnear... Well, put people... Got Greg Kinnear some notice. I can't really say that put him on the map. I would say the suit. not that best. Of oh, the worst. Nice. All right. See, the memories. But aren't the problem too... with their shows is that they seem to take forever to get to the point. Oh. Like a lot of these, what they call mid-review sketch shows. Mm. Some of them, like the Wheel of the Worst episodes. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm. Yeah. Now, now I'm you remember. Right. I showed you the one with the the kid and caboodle and <laughs> the the kid. So Shoji Dabuchi yes. from Branson. Right. And they were talking about those. Okay, yeah. So, hey, uh, what the hell? Give it a search on YouTube. See it for yourself. But, yeah, I can definitely see that. Uh... But the thing that made them famous were the Star Wars dissections. And people, that, that kind of thing set a bad precedent yeah. as far as these hours-long response videos go. I'm not... I've realized I'm not really a fan of those. No, no. So many of them are bad faith criticisms anyway. Right. Well, no, I, I stick to my 10 minutes ago at uh, what culture myself. And then you got the weird, um, George, well, 
they do a pretty good job covering the Jordy accent. But you can tell when they go to Scotsmanion. But, and I apologize to all our Scotch listeners. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Scott listeners, not Scotch. Ah, forgive me. This is a rare. This has been two weeks of sober podcasting for me. Three weeks if you count my little short episode. But, um, what really, what, so, you said you didn't really have any takeaways from Rushmore. It didn't really last with you. I mean, I do think Bill Murray was robbed of a supporting actor nomination that year. I think as everybody kind of agrees on that one. Um, I don't know. Have, uh, let's see. 98 Oscars. 99 Oscars. He's also going to edit this bit while he looks it up on his phone. You don't listen to as many podcasts as I do. <laughs> but, okay. 1999 Academy Awards. Awards that took place in 1999. That's weird. Like, do you wish they would just bump the, say the, um, Oscar season to like the fall season just so we can get it, not have the confusion of 99 movies get their Oscars in 2000. No, it it wouldn't. It would just make matters worse. Yeah, I'm a baseball fan. What can I say? Um, let's see. Oi. Not a good picture of Roberto Benigni on the Wikipedia. Yeah, Wikipedia really needs to work on their phone app. Oh, best leading, best supporting actor. Okay, it'd be tough to get uh, James Colburn's off that list. Um, Ed Harris, nope, not knocking him off. Jeffrey Rush, he had just won an Oscar, so. Um, Billy Bob Thornton, A Simple Plan, eh. I could definitely say get Robert Duvall or Jeffrey Rush out of there for Bill Murray. Um, I don't know. I think the best thing about Rushmore, though, is that it's really a, it's really a movie about friendship, I think. as um, Or, you know, you, or maybe, I mean, obsession, obviously. But, I mean, I, I just love the line describing it. Um, you and you and Herman are meant for each other. You're both giant children. <laughs> These are the names that define our world. The artists who shaped our minds. The rebels who challenged our views. But of all these legends, there is one that stands above all others. I'm sorry, did someone say my name? What's the secret, Max? The secret? I think you just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to rush me. Sharp little guy. He's one of the worst students we've got. We're putting you on what we call sudden death academic probation. Could I see some documentation on that, please? Did you invite that kid to your party? Max Fisher. Come on, Dad. There's gonna be girls there. I'd rather die. Pull your head out of your... Maybe I'm spending too much of my time starting up clubs and putting on plays. It's time, homie. Kiss me, little one. I should probably be trying harder to score chicks. I like your hat. You're a teacher here, aren't you? I'm so glad you could come. I want you to meet a friend of mine, Peter Flynn, Max Fisher. Hi. 
Who's this guy? Has it ever crossed your mind that you're far too young for me? I like your nurse's uniform, guy. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? I don't know what you see in her. I don't think she's right for you. What's that supposed to be? Hello, Herman. How are you, Rosemary? I know about you and the teacher. Does Max know? He's about five foot three, 112 pounds, glasses. You know, you and Herman deserve each other. You're both little children. War does funny things to men. But you'll find a pair of safety glasses and some earplugs underneath your seats. Please feel free to use them. What do you think of Max's latest opus? It's good. But let's hope it's got a happy ending. Rushmore. Thank you very much. So that was very weird when it came to a trailer. It's weird because it's like trying to do an MTV effect for a eclectic movie. And all I think is the best word to say it in terms of Rushmore. There's no real grunge sounding stuff in that movie. I mean, I think you get John Lennon, Yoko Ono drops, if anything. It is in life aquatic soundtrack wise, but it's definitely interesting enough. And I don't want it to be confused with all of this hip 90s, late 90s fare. The let's make sure Gen X comes to this feature type. So I had to take a break, a pause in the uh, pod. And then I ended up failing to realize if it was recording again. I just hit the play button. I think I needed to hit the red button. We're going to find that out right now. So... Sorry that we're coming into this conversation as I predict mid-note, I guess. But thank you for your patience, and welcome back to the show. To be recognizable by the masses. I mean, there is Michael Bay, but he's just, but that's just an exaggeration of what came before him, what his style is. Hmm. With Anderson... I know the guy has, there is a huge, there are fandoms and there are also hatedoms, and he has a huge one. A lot of people seem to see his films as insufferably twee and cutesy and not concerned with characters or story. And I understand where they're coming from because they're very, he takes a very dry, stylized approach to the humor and the and the drama in his films, like in Life Aquatic. I mean, Life Aquatic is partially funny because everything's kind of at a remove of how intensely people should be feeling things. Well, I don't know. I, I, I step back and look from a movie like Life Aquatic, and it's like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be panicking too much about being held hostage by... Um, Uh, South A- um, Pacific Island pirates. You know, you should just be cool as a cucumber with Jeff Gold, like Jeff Goldblum. Or like... So you guys are here to rescue me? Yep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think it was awesome. I mean, I think 
and you could probably say that about uh, Royal Tenenbaums is actually that uh, you got a lot of quirky characters. I mean, well, that's also part of it. People having quirky characters in anything is going to alienate at least some of your audience. If you don't, some people want characters they can have a beer with. And some people want to keep away from certain people at parties. And in what that's a roundabout way of saying is some people find the Wes Anderson characters insufferable. These are the type of people I drink with. Like, I look for at bars to have a drink with. And there's the fact that he isn't, that unlike a lot of the titled filmmakers we have, especially right now, he doesn't go, although his films have the aesthetics of Oscar bait and their ambition and scale, he's not really talking about the way we live now or deeply serious topics in his films. He's not making, he's not, it like, he's not doing the kind of stuff, middle brow stuff that around Howard does. Yeah, but... He, he's not... And also being... That, that actually reminds me yesterday. I saw a DVD copy of Cocoon for only about 10 bucks. Almost purchased that just because you can't get it. But, but what we've come to associate prestige filmmaking with is that it oftentimes has to be very dour. I mean, there there is very little place for comedy anymore in awards season or even in the mainstream because the market's become so fractured. And whenever you do get anything remotely comedic into the Oscar race, it often gets dinged as being twee or not taking its subject seriously enough. Or, because you think of how some of the European Oscar winners the last few years that did make crossover into the American market, like Benini's Life is Beautiful, or the artist which i i found to be excellent very charming and i just said i mean i'm jean de Jardin, i'm just happened to be a fan of after i saw his oss yeah the guy race. is huge over there oh yeah and any and like if you were following international filmmaking you knew the guy's work mm. but th that for almost invariably, those are the, the a film like The Artist or a film like Life is Beautiful to an extent, or maybe more recently Jojo Rabbit. Uh, while you wind up getting invited to be get a big backlash for being twee, and if if you're doing anything dealing with the kind of subjects Life is Beautiful or Jojo Rabbit, well, you'll be opened up and is that you're trivializing something or being even dinged as being outright evil for what you, how you treat the subject matter, that you don't do it in a certain acceptable way. And there's a lot of debate to be had on that. Um, are, there, are there subjects you can really deal with at all? But at the same time, if you try just to do a straight comedy like the con comedies that Anderson does, that aren't deeply rooted in what people consider reality and real world concerns, 
you get accused of, you get accused of focusing on first world problems i mean anderson's movies do aren't exactly the most diverse movies on the market <laughs> And that's I think that's another reason people but but the Portuguese Bowie <laughs> I think that's one thing that rubs rubs people the wrong way is that want... people don't like focusing on movies about rich white people problems well and in um, Life Aquatics of Defense there's uh, our protagonist is definitely not rich that's that's roughly true but yeah. still it's diff- <laughs> I no, think, it's it's quite first world problems, especially in, it goes back to Rushmore, and I think this is actually pretty appropriate now, especially when I may have lost uh, about ten minutes of conversation. <laughs> um, you know that's definitely Rushmore is definitely a movie about first world problems. Now, granted, one of your I guess you would say your protagonist in Jason Schwartzman uh, is definitely trying his best to take it to the rich guy. But he definitely identifies as such, which explains a lot of America, in all honesty. So, I don't know. Better, better um, ad campaigns, and I think Wes Anderson could probably come across as a conservative hero. Just, just, that's just, just bullshit in there. But it does speak to the fact that what, at a time when the market for mainstream filmmaking as a whole has badly shrunk to the point that a lot of big filmmakers have had to resort to working with streamers to get what they really want to do produced, like Scorsese working with Netflix. And what's seen as acceptable subject matter for whatever whatever crumbs the studios have left that they want to look like they at least superficially care about art. Mm-hmm. And it's virtually impossible for comedy of any kind to thrive in that market yeah i i definitely agree with that um i don't know uh with that being said and um i just kind of like i think really now uh cinema is um going to the movie theater has become a um outlet for the uh, disenfranchised um the, the trivialized, the marginalized. Uh, it's like when you go to, say, um, Northwoods Mall now, It's a, there's a lot more um, ethnic-themed places. Um, I say that as in, basically, well, they don't get great internet in those areas, so they're the only ones who are really going to be going to the mall to shop. And I'd say that, um, you know, that might be the case when it comes to streaming and having all the high-end HDTV TVs and high-speed internet and such. And I think that might, I'm just saying, this might play a factor in why we're doing this phony, or the suggestion of phony um, inclusion. Well, it's possible, but I think, I think that's, that's not something I'm qualified to talk about. No, but just throwing I am, it out there. But, but I, I do want to bring up another issue with the backlash against Anderson. I find it interesting that the backlash really began in earnest 
at a time when mainstream filmmaking really started falling into the cookie cutter IP, intellectual property festival that we have now. He might be the, I mean, if there's one thing Anderson has managed to avoid, it is that he is not, he's one of the last indie directors who was able to leap to big, big studio productions without having to just settle for doing superhero movies or other tentpoles. Well, I mean, Taika Waititi, for the most part, I mean, yes, he did Thor uh, Ragnarok. You can't say, you know, and the, but his following film was Jojo Rabbit, and before that it was What We Do in the Shadows. So I'm just saying... He keeps busy. He's able to keep busy enough hmm. that... He at least has something to do, but he's still going to be tied down to have one foot tied down to Disney. And as any filmmaker working in that system ends up being, I mean, John Favreau stopped directing the MCU films because he didn't like the way the films basically were just setting up the next installment and the next installment, but he still hasn't done a ton of work outside the Disney fold as yet. Well, he did get Chef in in there, and um, yeah, no, no. Otherwise, no. We're not getting Swingers or Made or right, Three. Well, that what 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 are we going to get out of Chloe Zhao at this point? I think you're just a little too paranoid on that. She's got her. I mean, she's got the she got the Oscar correct for right. um, Nomadland. Yeah. Which. Um, no offense, I you can't sell me on a movie where Norm. Uh, I was about to say Norm Macdonald. Uh, oh shoot, France. Uh, Francie McDormand poops in a coffee can. So I mean, I don't know. I think when you have that kind of prestige going into, say, the Eternals. But it the problem is is that the filmmakers don't get to use their skill set when they do these films. But then I don't know the other argument for that would be um, obviously Black Panther and Ryan, Ryan Coogler. That's another of the few exceptions. I, the film Twitter folks I hang out with will get will give a pre, will appreciate what that film or Thor Ragnarok managed to do within some very tight confines. But it still isn't enough and it's one, I think it's Bill Smiley on Twitter, who points out, at this point, the major studios are just gobbling up all the good indie directors so they can just churn out factory stuff. I mean, of all the things, like the same guy directed the Paddington movies, and the only project anybody could come up with him to do a after that as a big studio production is a Willy Wonka prequel. Like, they cannot think of anything else to do. Or Den Dennis Villanueva, you know, is getting stuck with all these adaptations of niche material like Blade Runner 2049 and Dune. It's not that these films can't be good, but... Well, in his, de in his defense, I think this is the type of stuff he's wanted to do. It's, it's true. Some of these directors were working up to this sort of thing, but I don't think Chloe Zhao was working her way up to do a C-list Marvel movie. 
ripped Kumail Nanjani is definitely a minus list. Um, I'm not talking about the caliber of the actors. I'm talking about no, no. I, I'm saying no. This movie has to be that, or I'm going, or uh, you know, it's like I'm going to pull a Stewie Griffin. I'm out. <laughs> We're going into this point where we pretty much run out of interest. The studios have pretty much run out of any in- interesting IP. Well, it's going to have to take... What they see it as is well, IP. They yes. don't see it as stories. No, you're, you're precisely right there. And at the same time, there's not a thriving scene for independent filmmakers because if you try working with Netflix, you have to have the reputation of a Scorsese to get anything really big out of their resources because Netflix could just as easily greenlight 10 more Christmas romance movies with the kind of money you might need to pull off a big production. Well, for every one of those you say that, there's always Okja, which was... um, Yeah, Bon Joon-ho. And even in those cases, Netflix still is not the kind of exposure you would have had theatrically. And of course... We're still in an evolving situation there. Mm. But, and it's always a hobbled leg when you try to get into the awards competition or what have you when you start on streaming. I mean, more and more filmmakers are accepting that they have to deal with streaming, like Spielberg, you know, as producer at least. But it's a hobbling experience, I would imagine, for some of these filmmakers. And... Part of the problem is is that the places like Netflix or Disney Plus are perfectly happy to keep content hose flowing. So they greenlight all these cheap productions and TV shows. There are tons of them virtually no one has heard of, uh, though some do well enough to get more than one season, that they just keep churning out and they go, they go by virtually unnoticed or they don't last very long in people's memories mm-hmm. and you can't really promote your best product that way well or, and the fact that we increasingly use wind up using the term product is part of the problem no I, I agree um, I think the biggest problem with Disney is that I mean for the last gosh is it really um well, let's see. We're almost to the 100th birthday of one. Uh, what was the name of the bunny? Um, definitely had too wordy a name for Disney to go with that character. Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Yes, okay. But no, we're about to the 90th anniversary, the 100th anniversary of the mouse in just eight years. Yeah, roughly. Right. Um, I would say ever since uh, Snow White, Disney, the name is the product. Well. I mean, it was the theme parks that kept Disney afloat until they got their feet got their feet under the ground. Yeah, in the seventies and eighties, and even then, that wasn't easy. There was the early disappointment a lot of people had with Epcot, that sort of thing. But you can't, 
the commodification of product and companies n not being willing to try and see what they do is anything more than brand management. There's an excellent Lindsay Ellis video on that in relation to the Beauty and the Beast remake where she compares the corporate styles of the Eisner regime of Disney for as many flaws as that had with the current Bob Iger era and how it's become, it's not really willing to take risks anymore. And the lack of risks flattening out because the Marvel movies are, my friend Jessica Ritchie puts it this way, they're like the Applebee's hamburgers of movies. They're consistently fine, but they're just there. And you just eat one and then eat another. And, you know, maybe the people would, maybe you'd like something different, but you get conditioned into the corporate work, brand worship we're seeing a lot of now. Uh, the Disney adult, for instance, which often overlaps with the MCU, of course, because they're both Disney, is where people are so conditioned to want and enjoy stuff that's just fine that they're not willing to take a chance on anything risky. And tying that back to Wes Anderson, it's telling that the backlash against him was coming at a point when franchise filmmaking and a certain sameness quality to everything really started becoming the norm in blockbusters. They, we don't know how to prop, to prop, like as if the mass audience no longer really knows how to respond to anything that isn't homogenized and prepackaged. That that's an in, that's the art is collaborative, of course, but is the vision that a director and their collaborators have that goes down from the lighting to the casting to the acting styles and to the staging. I mean, even people who prefer, who don't like the DC movies, especially the Snyder movies as a whole, will admit they at least had more imagination in how they staged things and shot things than the Marvel movies have. Like Jessica, Jessica Ritchie, she likes to say that the Marvel movies all kind of all look like they take place in banks. <laughs> I, okay, well, when you bring up Snyder, though, it's like, this is when I was confused when you're saying all the grays of Marvel. It's like, no, if you want a gray world, you go to the Snyderverse. And would I really call him inventive with what he was doing with the. No, I watched them because, hey, I dug Watchmen, I dug 300. Um, and we'll get into it probably tomorrow or with the next episode with um, uh, when we go into James Gunn, who wrote. Um, Dawn of the Dead 2004 um, I would say he's actually probably like no this is these are Zack Snyder movies they're not DC movies if I right. have any, any issue with right that. that's part of it and DC ultimately came to regret that they went all in on Snyder when it became clear that style didn't catch on with a lot of audiences I'm sorry Suicide Squad has an Oscar to its credit so I, I'm 
you know what? Screw the screw the mainstream so does, audience. You whoever sits there. Well, butt thank down. God it's Friday <laughs> has an Oscar too, and oh, nobody no. would call that a great movie. <laughs> and I know a lot of people love Top Gun, and it has an Oscar. Um, man, I now thinking... I'm just going on. Now I'm just going on bad movies with Oscars. Oh. But the con- the content paste thing, <laughs> I love that term. I think Jessica was the first to use it, and maybe not. I don't know. But the content paste thing <laughs> is a very apt metaphor for how it's coming off these days. I I think no. I just I, I I'm to the I'm thinking that no. You just you just I I think a lot of these audience when you say content paste, it's like. Okay, comic book movies you would hope are being made for comic book fans, and I'm not the comic book nut that I wish I was. Most people do not read comics. No, no, and I, I've had that um, on stuff. I'd like to try getting Jessica Quaz from Second Chance Movies back on just so we can talk about like, no, 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 Super Superman Dawn of Justice, <laughs> Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice makes perfect sense to the audience like so like everything it makes sense to me like and i think any comic book fan and i think that's a good um place to go with this if you're really into the comic books and if you're one of the rare directors who are actually into that well uh the storytelling is the storytelling and i don't think it's a content paste situation this is just like i want to come back for more it's like me wanting a saw movie every year you know maybe if i maybe we kept up going with nightmare on elm street movies regardless how crappy they were getting i would have wanted that it's just that is comfort food that is not applebee's applebee's is not comfort food that's discomfort food that's where you take a first date to if you can't figure out something cool to eat try something foreign that's all I'm going to say. Um, you know, real com- no, no, Jessica's talked about this. Uh, it's not fair to pick on people who want more than content paste, who maybe want a scratch me beer claw or uh, a nice set, light salad tossed in a vignette, as she's put it. Okay. It's, salad is not a meal. I'm going to go there. Of course it's a meal, especially if you put protein on it. Chicken, shrimp. No, the answer is bippity-boppity-bacon. And no, that's not protein, no matter how much I love that portion. No. And yes, I eat port rinds. And trying to make something for the fans and enlisting the help of the fans usually ends in tears. Oh, eh. No, it's what ends in tears is when you listen to the wrong fans. Basically, the vocal minority, which is what happened to Star Wars. Well, that's a good example, but you, but then, if anything, the Disney remakes appeal to a silent majority of people who don't have, who are completely okay with content paste, so long as it's something familiar. Right, but as I say, that's a totally different, going and remaking your IP is totally different than, okay, and I'm waiting for next week. 
if anything, we've gotten a problem with TV and cinema being so, since Game of Thrones, and I'd say to a lesser extent, Boardwalk Empire opening that door, which is obviously so opened by The Wired. But what I'm saying is that it's, I think with everything being almost interchangeable now, uh, between TV production and uh, films that I think part of the audience is conditioned to want the next volume. Yes, and that's not necessarily a good thing. I, I that's like that's like saying yeah, oh. if you can't ever end the narrative properly, the stakes fall flatter. The narrative and if they end, all have the, to be consistent, nobody can do anything distinctive. The narrative ends when your protagonist surprisingly dies of colon cancer. Yeah, that may not have been worth a wimp shot, but <laughs> I'm coming for it. Um, but when what really kind of throws me because I, I think we're just circling around and it's not as bad. It is that bad. It's not as bad. Um, is where you go on to this um, backlash towards Anderson. And again, I think when you say backlash, this is definitely, again, vocal minority stuff. Because, um, you know, I didn't really rush to Anderson because, yeah, you got Bill Murray, but you kind of seem a little really pretentious to me. I was 21 and I was getting concussed twice a week. The good old days. Um, so, uh, when I'm. So, I, yeah, so, the backlash doesn't really affect me much, or I don't even really notice it. And I think a lot of the backlash, again, as I say, internet has been. If anything, we need more inclusivity in Anderson's storytelling just so we can have a big, scary black guy serve as a bouncer for film Twitter. We got a problem here? <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just saying how Martin Scorsese may be smelling his own farts. But you know what? That is fine, because I'm sure he farts potpourri. What I'm saying is that Anderson still has the freedom and has managed yes, to maintain the freedom of right. doing what he actually wants to do as a filmmaker. I don't imagine a lot of the people who are tied down to stuff like Marvel really be, want to do those kind of movies. They're making the best of a bad situation, and that's not unusual in any kind of art. I, I don't think it's... The history of art going back to the studio era is full of people... I, I don't think it's making the bad the best out of a bad situation. It's no, I mean, you're getting this is the only way you're really gonna get your work exposed. Like if the Eternals knocks out of the ballpark, people are then going to go back to No Man's Land. No, that's what that's something my friends and I have noticed too. People don't go and look at these other people. Were other works of these performers and actors. With that said, go and watch Chef. It's got Scarlett Johansson, John Favreau, John Leguizamo is awesome. Which I mean, is another DVD purchase I made today because it seems to be rare. Super Mario Brothers. I want to see how. I want to try to take note how drunk John Leguizamo really was on set. Like 
you don't see a big rise in interest in other films these people have made or even other films these actors have made because well, audiences of... aren't curious enough and that's part of the problem of the branding and content bubble well, it's intentionally the... there to make you curious i find it ironic that now you know warner brothers merged with the discovery networks and all that yeah under the time banner it's like warner discovery or something is right. the new company name and i said on twitter that's as ironic a name as there is when you consider that all they want to do is keep you watching their products and their movies and shows and not anybody else's. It works completely against the concept of discovering things. And Disney has okay, this problem what, too. Okay, what have we really discovered from Discovery in the last 15 years? You can make jokes, but those shows Aliens! Are sorry i did the i did the you know i know it's an audio con concept doing the freaky guy with the hair and the, and the hands by his face doesn't work um no i like here i guess wes anderson now now we're getting into awful hypotheticals just just plain awful hypotheticals if he did a franchise picture I think we would go back to... There was a Saturday Night Live parody that wondered how he'd do a horror movie. <laughs> well, I'm sure he could, though. Um, like, I would love to see a Woody Allen horror movie. Um, what, I, what I'm getting at is, at least with these directors, I mean, Rushmore ends kind of bittersweet. You realize who you really are. If In uh, the case of Fitz, you're... You realize that you, you know, you just got to be happy growing up. And with Herman, you just got to, you just got to be, you just got to quit hating yourself. Um, what I'm saying is if they, if Anderson was a dude, say franchise fair, that he's got subject, he has movies, he doesn't even, he's even does it better than Alan, where you know what? I'm not going to, like, take Ryan Coogler, for example. All right. Have I watched Creed or Fruitvale, Fruitvale Station? No. Creed? I'm sorry. I'm on Team Rocky Five. was good. Um, but, you know, we had Rocky Balboa. Did we really have to keep bringing them back? And from what I've heard, yes. So, yeah, I'm going to get around to Creed. Fruitvale Station? I remember that story in real life. Like that's gonna be a downer. So it's kind of like, um, I think that might be part of the problem. Taika Waititi, he doesn't have any downers. He, he's got misunderstood Nazi movies, but no downers. And I think, I don't know. I really need to see Jojo Rabbit now with all of this because I don't think Oscar is dumb enough. To go and suggest movies to watch if they don't think that regular people can discern that, hey, we're not glorifying Hitler here. And um, yeah, that's where I'll go with that one. Um, but I mean, 
the worst thing that happened in Grand Budapest Hotel is the uh, epilogue where, oh, they shot him on sight. And it's kind of like, no, I think he would have liked going down that way. Well, the point is that you'll never know if you like something or not unless you try it. I mean, what's wrong? There's Look, nothing wrong I, no, with no, being no, no, curious. No. Green apple Skittles basically told me never to trust the color green. I, you know, I guess you could say, oh, well, you tried them. No. <laughs> I, I have done this a lot of times. I've had some surprising disappointments, and I've had some surprising opening up, opening ups. I've, I, it's known that I've worked through most of the Jeff Goldblum filmography. We've come to a point where we've hit some mo movies over at the Goldblum Complete Works podcast I haven't been able to see or didn't see when I had a chance. Like, he has a five-second cameo incident at Loch Ness <laughs> that we that I should have covered when I had the chance, but. Going into all those different Goldblum movies, and not all, plenty of them are duds on a whole, the whole. I mean, I didn't care if really Igby goes down that much. Or, uh, but it also was, it got me able to at least sample filmmakers like Joan Micklin Silver, or Philip Kaufman, or uh, Paul Schrader more than I had before. And that's a good thing. At least I can, I, if I don't enjoy something, I at least have the comfort of knowing a little more about what I'm talking about and being able to better defend my opinions about what really matters to me against what doesn't matter and to appreciate things more. I think that's part of what being a film hobbyist ought to be. Well, no, and aside from me being anti-vegetable, I do agree with the sentiment, and I'm glad you found uh, Jeff Goldblum to be your path to that kind of exposure. And what I would say, though, is, like, rarely do I get to see, and maybe this is what you're getting at, that I get to see these directors do anything um before they get into the mainstream but that is just the flaw just the flaw of independent cinema is that you can't go and do that you can't you don't get the exposure um i don't think it's the machine's fault and like so no i haven't gone back and seen ryan coogler's uh complete works but it's something that i mean to do um, and I have to thank the Marvel Universe for that. Now, I think what we're getting at is people, like, the difference between an Applebee's burger and genuine comfort food. I mean, genuine comfort food is nothing but indulgence. An Applebee's burger is just a where-are-we-going-to-eat type thing. And personally, I hate Americana food for that. Chili sucks, too. What's wrong with chili? <laughs> okay, uh, the sauce on their boneless wings sucks, and then never mind the fact your boneless wings are pretty much just breading. Um, but, um, but when it comes to Wes Anderson and Backlash, it's kind of like, 
what I was more fascinated by the fact is that we're talking about backlash that came in 2001, 2004. And I can't say that franchise cinema was really thriving at that point. I think it was actually like the best thing you had would be as suggestions is um, the concept of we must do trilogies and The Matrix uh, 2 and 3 which are all right movies. 3 is better than 2. Um, and the Pirates franchise. And otherwise the only other IP would be at that time I'd say the American Pie series. And um, I'm trying to revive Superman again. Well, there it's interesting reading the uh, wonder, the delightful popcorn champ series over at AV Club. You can say that things started going south in 1999 with the Phantom Menace because everybody went to that movie. Most people didn't enjoy it, but they still had faith that things might get better down the line. It was the at the end of the 90s we learned that a movie could be a hit without actually being any. Okay, no, we knew that back when Mannequin was a hit in 1987. Well, there are plenty of movies that peop that critics might not have liked, but they appealed to the masses or even just a cult audience in a certain way, and as, that's okay. As Space pointed out, when Simon Pegg's character gets fired after ripping into a kid about asking for a Jar Jar Binks toy, <laughs> um, you know, no, kids love... What, what is your problem? Kids love Jar Jar Binks. It's a piece of garbage. What about Ewoks? Like, um, so no, I, I kind of disagree with that. I think anybody who really thinks and Phantom it's Menace really, is garbage is full of it. It's <laughs> really being kept on the, people have let themselves be kept on the hook that they're, they might be subconsciously hoping things will get better at least, or consciously. But it never will. <laughs> they keep, which is part of the franchise and brand thing. At some point, you have to get off the wagon. Not necessarily true, though. I think Marvel, like, I think, and I might even be of this persuasion um, that with Marvel, the cinematic universe has been wrapped up, should have been wrapped up with a bow at the end of Endgame. I mean, the only things we were really hinting were, all right, the Asgardians of the Galaxies might be a thing, and we might be looking for Gamora, and we know Adam Warlock is coming. That's all we really got out of the get, got out of the MCU when it ended. Basically, James Gunn, who will be the subject of my next podcast, <laughs> was the only guy who had seeds planted in for the future. Um good thing they brought his ass back um and, and and i could go with i mean if it wasn't for the great television in my opinion that disney has produced with the marvel franchises i would say i could go 20 years because i'm used to that shit thank you george lucas i could go 20 years without having another marvel movie but I think that's, I think by, I think my position is definitely in the minority, or I shouldn't, not necessarily that it's in the minority, I think it's cruel, honestly, if my position 
actually came to fruition. I have nieces and nephews, man. I can count on Marvel. Now, for adults, like, I don't know. It was something like this, listening to Marty and Sarah Love Wrestling on the MLW Podcast Network. Uh, when they were talking about the fact they were going on a rant about stuff that rhymes with itself or stuff that just doesn't make sense. Like, um, they go over Eric Bischoff's theme song, I'm back and better than ever. I have a knack for making things better. Basically, rhyming better twice. And then they brought up a country song. Uh, I can't remember the name of the artist, but it's like talking about a promiscuous girlfriend getting um, anal in Austin and bum um, action in Boston. And they were just complaining about the fact that why, you know, we're, we're cursing and cursing. We know kids listen to this podcast. And those kids will appreciate it when they're adults, that we took the time to speak to them like they're adults. So, if anything, I don't know. I guess what I need is some good R-rated crap to entertain myself and sneak to my nephew. <laughs> well, that's the subject for another time, I suppose. Well, but that's what I'm saying. I'm not going to... I'm not a parent, but... I know I can trust the Marvel Universe not to screw up my nephew and my nieces. That's not much of a demand. Is it? Like, I mean, look at how many crappy movies Mom had to endure for us. Sure. We all had to do... That's a, Think of all the crap I had to wade through as I got older and we were still going to kids' movies in the 90s. Yeah, I really, again, really want to get back with Jessica Quaz because after the Space Jam getting the second chance while Tropic Thunder does not um like no I, I, I remember Space Jam being total BS I'm from Illinois Michael Jordan was the biggest thing that going on but at least he had a choice of movies and he didn't just I mean it isn't necessarily a bad thing to have a reliable brand name. Some studios get very good at specializing in certain kinds of movies. Yeah. But it the studios have become too complacent though. Well, that that's that's not gonna change until there's a fallout. And there isn't going to be in this deregulated industry, since there are very few choices that can compete against them, we it's probably going to be a very painful collapse before we can get things to improve again. Unless the, co unless the law starts coming in to break up these companies, and unless we see some really catastrophic losses on the part of all these upcoming tent poles, I don't think things are going to change that much. The studios have a really big... They have very big control over movie theaters and distribution. It's, it's killing all, all potential competition. I don't know. It almost sounds like you're saying Andre Tarkovsky was being shoved down the Soviet's throats. I mean, 
I'm, I'm just saying, throwing that out there, like, you say we're in a bad deregulated situation, I'm saying, like, well, if you want regulation, how the heck do we get art out of the But that's a strong east? man. What ha- it's what, at the end of the 60s, the reason New Hollywood was able to exist and come out, out of the ashes of the collapse of the studio system when they put in insane amounts of money into films like Dr. Doolittle or Hello, Dolly, that almost ruined their studios for good is because there was a thriving independent market at the time, including the Grindhouse Fair, and like churning mills like those of Roger Corman that in their own way churned stuff out like so, so many sausages, but didn't have but were in such a hurry that they didn't necessarily have a house style and people had some freedom to experiment on limited resources. We don't have that now so much. Well, I don't know how deregulation is going to change that. Because... Well, it would add more competition again. We only have four major studios at this point. Well, again, I guess it would be... How can you really deregulate when they've been doing the same thing they've been doing since the 60s? Uh, you could say, well, they, they had to reinvent themselves. Okay, well, they reinvented themselves into this, and none of that was illegal. Or even, I would say, even questionably. Um, I mean, it's the it, deregulation in the 90s leading to studios buying TV networks. Oh, that, the, okay. Oh, you, and you basically, basically one. Basically buying, basically being in a position to control your own marketing. Exactly. Okay. No, that's, a, that's a large part of it. Well, that's what's going to happen with, I mean, streaming services, I know you have one for three of the major studios, uh, Warner, Disney, and Paramount. The four with uh, Universal, so Sony's the only ones who don't really have their a hand, a hand directly in the game. Not yet, anymore. And Lionsgate, but who the hell knows what they do. Aside from buy all the A24. There you go, A24. Why are we so worried? That is still only one company. Well, I mean, if they get big and, like, Legendary did, and then everybody starts buying Legendary products, and then... They're secretly running it all. I mean, so... But, um... So I guess, since we're not really talking about the movies of Wes Anderson... I'm I, sorry, but... No, 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 no. It's, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Um, I mean, I guess I should have jumped in this earlier, but who knows, it may not may have been in that 10-minute se- section, and who knows, that might even be longer. I just noticed the red dot wasn't on. Um, when you go to about comedies and best picture, you have the artist, which I would essentially call comedy, at least the, I would say it's closer to a comedy musical, um, straight up drama. And then you had, um, so a lot of people angry that won, won the Oscar. I know that. And then you had 2015 though, where the Oscar was won by a comedy. And you also had a comedy underneath it in um, the best picture race being the Grand Budapest Hotel. 
if you see where I'm going at. Like, I think Wes Anderson happened to just be at a great time with Grand Budapest Hotel. If, because I would, I would consider Birdman to be a comedy. My take. A comedy brilliantly directed and a style that I don't see anybody ever going to be able to recapture. Sorry, Dunkirk. Sam Mendes, you got your Oscar. I don't feel too bad for you. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Like, you say a lot about the backlash towards him is just being uh, very. Well, it's a bad sign of things to come. Well, I in hindsight. Um. But. I mean, shouldn't this give you a little faith in the studio system as it is right now if we still let Wes Anderson be Wes Anderson? If we still let Simon, uh, if we still let Edgar Wright be Edgar Wright? Nobody's making the Coen brothers do franchises. Yes, but they I know all the Coen brothers also retired. But or, yeah, that's part of it. A lot of the really great filmmakers who have the clout to keep doing what they're doing, be it Scorsese or Spielberg, But as I I say, I did just mention right. A lot of these aren't long for this world. And and Tarantino, I mean. And Edgar Wright might mean more if his movies were as popular as his fans would make you believe they were. I I don't. Like, that's a style that seems to turn a lot of people I know off. It's Edgar Wright's. Oh, okay. There's. I don't. I don't. I. I mean, there's nothing about that that appeals to me. I don't have an easy in on that. You love British comedy. The Conetta trilogy is up your alley. I'm not going to tell you to watch um, uh, Scott Pilgrim, despite I think it's... I've got a lot of other stuff to work through first. The gaps in my knowledge I feel more excited and obligated to work through. There's nothing about Edgar Wright that grabs me. He got the last great Spacey performance. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just... No, I, I... But I guess here, I think we're... We've come to a... Uh, the proverbial fork in the road. I mean, you want to catch up on all this stuff in the past, and I'm saying that the present isn't as bad as you think. It's hard to tell when everybody is either totally for or totally against it. I find that it well, might my, as well wait a, a decade or so and see if anybody cares about this stuff down the line, and then maybe I'll see if it's useful or not. Well, I, and there's so much of the past to excavate anyway. Well, on the Rewatchables podcast on the Ringer Network, um, Bill Simmons, the guy who runs the Ringer yeah. and does most of those podcasts, right. uh, basically said, like, you know what, we should not have the Oscars... In for, for let's just say 2019 20, the 2021 Oscars should not happen in 2022 they should happen in 2026 so we really get some time to really figure out what the best movies were you have to remember of course that most award ceremonies are more self promotion for the industry or just the people giving them out than anything else 
Oh, those we shouldn't are, think those... about it as being anything useful. Oh, it's those... just an intent entertaining horse race. Hey, Daddy, Daddy, look at that plane! Oh yeah, so it's heading to Los Angeles where they make our dreams come true and <sighs> with blockbuster movies, award shows, we're gonna give awards to award shows. Get my gun. <laughs> Oh, there's nothing to worry about. Just another um, farmer taking shots at us. I still think the critic is due for a reevaluation at this point, as far as 90 shows go. Well, that's one of those weird things I think the internet got ahead of on by doing the internet version of it before yeah. before that was a thing. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, yeah, shows they're not very good. They, they were okay. They're okay at best. Yeah. But I mean... It goes to show that that, that was very much... It was it an wasn't... experiment, mm-hmm. nonetheless. Like, I don't know. Without the critic, I don't think we'd have Archer. Just very much self-aware about how silly industry is. Be it spy... Be it illegal espionage operations... <laughs> Or film criticism. But, um... But... Look, Wes Anderson's giving... You talk about being tied to the Marvel Universe. Wes Anderson is always more reliable on giving Jeff Goldblum work than Disney Marvel is. So far. And if you discount the um, world according to Jeff Goldblum. I'm just saying Jeff Goldblum's happy to be part of the machine. I don't know. The whole thing with World According To was that it started as a separate project for National Geographic before the Fox merger took place. If you watch the show, it's pretty clear that it was because I can't imagine an in-house Disney version of the show would <laughs> have allowed it to play the way it does. In Disney just... They probably want to tamp down on him making esoteric references to old movies, such as in the Pools episode where he's wor- openly worrying when he goes into the isolation tank. <laughs> oh no, I'm gonna, I want to end up like, I don't want to look, end up like William Hurt in Altered States. Hi, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. There's there's a director I really need to follow up more. Alex Proxis. I mean, Dark City, The Crow. Um, Yeah, I didn't really give anything after those. I don't know. That's a weird thing. And I think that kind of plays in, again, bringing back to uh, Wes Anderson. Like, Like, Wes Anderson's two animated features were done at Fox. And they are on Disney Plus now, and you don't see Disney Plus pushing those movies, even though they're excellent animated features. I don't really see Disney Plus pushing anything that isn't immediate or very recent. Well, no, they don't, and that's part of their problem. Well, You'd think that this would be a great opportunity to push these movies, because as excellent as they were, the fact that American animation audiences are so limit limited in terms of what they see as acceptable or how they want such a film to, 
how they expect such a film to work, they weren't ready for what Anderson, Anderson's style. I, I know there's more than one critic out there that says maybe animation was the medium best suited to Anderson's talents. Well, that that's that weird weird state I was getting into. Like, you said Tim Burton, I said Coen Brothers, and um, honestly, I think Tim Burton should probably stick to animation, but he's all. I, I would consider Tim Burton, for the most part, be all style now. Um, while Anderson, at least, again, you gotta get through his thick dialogue to really, um, to really be, and absorb it all, to really, for that to really um, get through. Well, that's because Burton became a director for hire around the time of the Alice in Wonderland film he did for Disney. That's not the project of a filmmaker who goes into that. Well, with a, I would definitely say no. He was a real needed, vision in mind. Well, I would it wasn't, say that go all the way back to Sleepy Hollow. I didn't really think that had the vision. It is he true thought. that a few of his post Mars Attacks films had already felt more like Planet of the Apes, ta- <laughs> taking advantage of the style rather than him really doing anything with the material. Yeah, but I think that's the difference between. Between Burton and Anderson now, he's not doing these projects because he really wants to do them. Anderson clearly does what he does because it's what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And he makes that work for him. I'm with somebody so referential, and I guess you could say the same thing with that girl, right? Like, you see, I think you basically sold me on, okay, so I gotta write a treatment. I gotta pick myself a comic book, a Marvel character, and sell that to Andy. Like, no, no, see. And then we're gonna make, uh, we're gonna add sparkles to um, Submariner. Yeah, you'd like that, right? So I think we have something. We can go and do something like, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, Edgar Wright obviously backed out of Ant Man because he just didn't have the time and patience for it. Um, and he's the ultimate comic book nerd. So. Hi, Dan. Preparation was good, you know. I thought That's your specialty. Thank you, because if I said that one, it would sound like bragging. Obviously good quickness. Yeah, in and out pretty fast. Real fast. Including the coin collection and the earrings. You took the earrings, Dignan? I bought the earrings for my mother on her birthday. Maybe we should have robbed your house. You ever think of that? Three outstanding young men. Well, come on, baby, and rock with me tonight. Bob Maplethorpe, potential getaway driver. Go. I really want to be a part of this team. And I'm the only one with a car. That's good. That's good. Because that hits me right here. I'm Anthony. You speak English? It's amazing how close you can get to a girl when you're not allowed to talk to her. And my name's Digden, man. You in the army, yes? No, no, I just have short hair. We are a team. Digden, I, I can't focus unless your gun is on the table. We just paid for it. Shut up, man. We don't settle our problems with bugs, man. We settle them with bare knuckles and catch <laughs> All they ever wanted was to be wanted. What are you putting that tape on your nose for? Exactly. Let's get lucky. Just do exactly as I say. Smooth, come on. Get one of those bags. A bigger 
on, you idiot. What do you think? Don't call me an idiot, you punk. Okay, do you have a, do you have a bigger badge for atlases or dictionaries? Uh, sir? I'll tell you something, kid. You've got the guts of a damn lion. That is Mr. Henry. Hey, Henry, how are you? He is a very talented thief. Hey! Just kidding? I don't know. Are you in? I really don't want to do this robbery, you know? Man, neither do I. You're breaking his heart. You know that, don't you? What were you thinking? They're going to keep on trying. You got it, ma'am. We know it backwards and we know it forwards because we've done the legwork and we've done the research. Until they get it right. What are you doing here? You're always at lunch now. Not always. Yes, always. Explosives really necessary? Just had a little diversion with our father figure talking about um, aging, honestly. Not to mention Rory's schedule, but I did need to know when uh, I'm supposed to expect stuff up me bum. In the name of health. Ah. Little do they know that me being such an open person, no fear. I just want to get this anticipation out of the way. I don't know, maybe Brad Pitt sold me on colonics with the big short. <laughs> so, okay. Well, so... I don't know. I guess it's kind of ironic that uh, Wes Anderson and Edgar Wright aren't franchise guys when they, you know, have a genuine love for this kind of thing. Right. Like, I want to sell my zombie wrestling Z movie, Made of the Dead. It is a comedy. Basically, so I can get myself into a position to start rewriting bad movies that, you know, may have just been flawed. Like, you know, Hudson Hawk. I think that's worth trying to repen. Just, just, just a sad thing. I don't think we. I think that was a good Sandra Bernhardt performance, and I just don't think we have any world place for her anymore. Right. Any actors like that come to your mind? Actors we don't have a place for anymore. Yeah. Offhand, I find it hard to think of any of them, but because well, I think part of it is that we're just not churning out the kinds of performers with potential that we used to. Mm-hmm. And if we do, they all end up at the franchise machine. I guess to a certain extent, I kind of wish for stuff like, hey, come on, Juliette Lewis, she's perfect for, she's got to be perfect for some character in Deadpool, I suppose. I mean, perhaps she should have been Angel instead of Gina Carano. I think that would be something we'd all appreciate. Um, she was in Deadpool. 
and then she became a uh, decided she wanted to enter to amuse the Republican value base and that got her cancelled from Disney mm-hmm. and look I thought she was great on the Mandalorian but she was totally redubbed for the movie Haywire which again Steven Soberg that is definitely how much work have you seen of his mm, not a lot yeah, I don't... Well, keep in mind, you could say, oh, I've seen this, this, and this, and this, and that's still only a right. fraction of... But he's great for 90 for chill, because for the most part, he keeps it pretty concise. Unless he's really working for the studio system. I mean, Traffic, Aaron Brockovich. But I know the line, he's a swift 90 minutes, approximately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... But... I don't know. I it's it's tough when you were going on about um, how we just don't seem to appreciate the um, dare I say the glib style and you know me and like how you were saying that Anderson doesn't present characters you'd like to have a normal person would like to have a beer with. Dude, I I sit at a bar, people watching, and eventually just ending up bonding with the bartender because. Oh gosh, you gotta wait on that. Like, um, I don't know. It's like, I think we're at an issue, a point where it's not about the inclusivity, which I did bring up. That I think a lot of it is that inclusivity, be it genuine or faked, is basically for people who can't actually go and just spoil themselves with a 65 inch television and uh, all the streaming services you could want um, but I don't know if it's just a fun little story and I don't know how you can say Wes Anderson or even Taika Waititi's stories aren't just little fun jots they're fairy tales you know and um Anderson's a little more willing to cut off the heels and toes of the Wicked Stepsisters. I'm not really sure what your point is. My point is that... Well, I guess saying that Wes Anderson's movies are fairy tales kind of makes sense because most of our fairy tales come from Europe and the Grimm Brothers and they're well, very I'm not white. objecting to that. Okay, what I'm saying, but what, what I meant was like Wes Anderson truly appreciates the um, fairy tales by killing Owen Wilson at the end of uh, Life Aquatic or um, right but how does that fit into your larger point about how the current well, situation okay, what, what is I'm saying, as bad as what it I, seems well I wasn't going on that, that portion I was just saying that what, the backlash right. towards Anderson is kind of unjust. Like they're just well, no, fun, I agree it was unjust. Fun, fun little stories. Yeah. Um, as and for people, the, I do think that's a fair comment. Okay. As for the um, studio system not being as bad as you think, it's just more or less, I'm of the opinion that it is going to fall out. That's what, that's what Quentin Tarantino believes. Like, He's, he says it's that a great time for film but that mother lover wanted to do a Star Trek movie and I know he's not a mother lover <laughs> he made that abundantly clear 
got his mom out of some credit card trouble and otherwise nope you said screenwriting wasn't going to work for me so nobody's gonna i'm not gonna make any money doing this so no house for you um so i think the bottom is going to drop out and if you go like and spend your saturdays like i do at some point looking at what itunes has to offer um i think you can get probably even wider selection on amazon prime Yes, I know your Prime is hooked up to my account. If you ever want to get yourself Amazon Prime, um, the movie selection is excellent, I think. I mean, in terms of wanting to purchase stuff. I can't promise you that, and I can't really promise you that with iTunes and all that bollocks. So, I'm just saying that it's... um. There's a lot of good stuff out there, and then you can just totally avoid all of this. This is, again, why... I find myself ironic when it comes to the internet as my medium and I could care less about what film Twitter actually says if I can get a like or if I can get a little heart mark for posting a blog about a blog for future world right you know I think and again Ralph breaks the internet probably a two and a half two star movie at best but it did remind me, never read the comments section. <laughs> and if anything, I would suggest to you, start either doing black film Twitter and just fake it. Because <laughs> that's going to get good vibes, man. Or do, um, what did they call um, the news program on South Park? Um, the qu- quest for ratings. Yeah, that I episode, can't remember oh. what they called it. Just make it a longer hashtag. Super cool film Twitter, <laughs> and see who follows you. So, okay, but um, no. Otherwise, um, just just for kicks to close this on out uh, with uh, James Gunn being the next episode, one way or the other, whoever gets the guest spot. It's not going to be recorded till next Tuesday at the earliest. Or this Tuesday at the earliest, I should say. Um, hmm. Uh, what, what's your real thoughts on James Gunn? Because he definitely had his weird stuff before he... I mean, it's almost ironic that he's a superhero movie director when super is definitely the anti-superhero movie the only film of his i've seen is the suicide squad i can't say i have a full opinion on the guy oh well you gotta give guardians kind of there you gotta give guardians of galaxy a chance again we're talking great record needle drop soundtracks um you're missing out on so much michael rooker Do you even attend his panels at, at, at Wizard World? Yes, I do. Okay, all right. All is forgiven <laughs> with that statement. But you've been faking it with the Mary Poppins, y'all? No. <laughs> I've never gotten to that kind of thing in the first place. I was just joking around with you. Okay, all right. Well, that's part of the content paste problem. Oh. You get subjected to all these memes in advance. Would I have seen, like, 
Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, for, all right. Actually, the first experience I've had with obviously I saw Dawn of the Dead two thousand four. Wasn't overly impressed. I don't like running zombies, and Zack Snyder's style was definitely far from uh, being perfected that time. And I think with Suicide Squad, he was trying to he was appealing to the audience who did not like Dawn of the Dead by immediately using the Jim Carroll band's "People Who Died" song, which he uses in the credits of Dawn of the Dead, and opening with Johnny Cash, which Dawn of the Dead did. Um, but so the first thing I'm familiar with what from him otherwise was Tromeo and Juliet, that which he wrote on. And then I would say, if it wasn't for the Marvel Universe, I would not have gone back and watched Slither. And um, as I say, Super, Super, the only reason I didn't immediately jump towards Super was just because I thought Matthew Vaughn did the anti-superhero movie so great with Kick-Ass. And I can't get enough Matthew Vaughn. Stardust. I mean, so there we go. I'm saying, see... The Marvel Universe helped me. I'm, I'm being trying to be as pitiful as the character of um. I can't remember her name, uh, from Saw. With the, how Jigsaw helped her after getting out of the bear trap, reverse bear trap. <laughs> the Marvel Universe helped me. I'm a better moviegoer because of the Marvel Universe. So, I'm just joking around with that, though. So, um, so about how many movies do you put up? About a week, I'd say, I'm at letterbox.com slash thepoeticcritic. Maybe two or three at this point. Okay. It's trickled down of late. Well, that's no problem with that. And um, you're still being... Obviously, you have a Twitter account if you're following film Twitter. And, um, I mean, if you don't want to give that out, I am totally cool with that. Um, so, hashtag film Twitter if you want to try finding the poetic critic there. Uh, let me run I some... Don't use the hashtag film Twitter. Oh. I don't know where you come from on this. What do you... How do you find film Twitter, then? I hang out... I keep in touch with friend, friends who post about film. Yeah, but that's how you're supposed to find everything. I was just putting the film, like, film Twitter in the search bar. Do it that way. See, I don't have, I don't have a lot of friends. Thank you, Rory. I mean, I don't have people as cool as let me get this down right. Bill Smiley, uh, Jessica Ritchie, mm-hmm. Lindsay Ellis. I'm not really, I'm not really into Lindsay Ellis that much. Okay, well, I've kind of broken away from the video. I'm not really big on video essay, folks. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. I'm totally. I don't like. Okay, maybe my coworker sitting next to me watching video essays on how you're not, I'm not a racist <laughs> while being homophobic and uh, racist um, has really soured me on those videos. Like, I'll watch, I can go on a binge on what culture about anything learn them video games wrestling star wars but you know they're list videos for the most part um but i love podcasts because i listen to them in the car primarily mm-hmm. so it's kind of like you don't want me reading and driving in other words 
So I'm a big fan of the written word more than anything. So you can find all of my written word at maineventofthedead.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-V-E-N-T-O-F-D-E-A-D.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at CatBusRuss. That's at C-A-T-B-U-S-R-U-S-S. And if you'd like to be a guest on 94 Chill the Podcast or perhaps want a treatment of my screenplay, Man of the Event of the Dead, you can contact me via email at uh, rustthebus07 at gmail.com. That's R-U-S-S-T-H-E-B-U-S-07 at gmail.com. Or send me a direct message again. The Twitter handle is at CatBusRuss. Well, thank you very much. Um, we will we will kill the mouse someday, Rory. As she was showing me duck videos. She's a double agent. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with something really illiterate. Like Disney double duck agent. I don't know. But uh, thanks again though for coming through for me again. Doing me a solid. No problem. Alright. And uh, as I said, next week will be James Gunn one way or the other. Uh, thanks again for returning to this, and have yourselves a good night. Am I hitting the applause button? Only you will know. I didn't hit it long enough. Can I hear a wahoo?